Good morning. Again, I just have to say, what great worship this has been. Can we thank them? Yeah. All right, so here we go. A change of pace plus a change of place equals a change of perspective. Uh, when I was 13 years old, I was at Camp Lee in Anniston, Alabama. <laughs> Do we know Alabama? Wow, you know what that is. Wow, I didn't expect that here. Um, at that camp, uh, our, our youth group went there every year. It was my first year. And uh, I had one of those moments. I had a change of perspective as a 13-year-old girl. And I walked out and I, I prayed with the camp pastor that night. And, and as we were praying, it just became very clear, very evident to him and to me that the Lord was calling me to do what I'm doing now. I love that story because there's something about being open at places like this. I've watched this happening to you this weekend. I prayed with many of you and God's working on you and there are different things in your life. And the noise is so busy that we can't hear him speak to us. So it's so important, so important that you come to things like this. Now, it's also really important that how you're going to take this away, right? It's about to get busy again. You're about to have different hats you've got to put on, different demands on your schedule. So I wonder if you would turn to the person next to you and share one way that you think you can continue to hear from God better. Ready? I'm going to give you a minute so you can think. Ready? Go. Wow, I don't even have to do the countdown anymore. Excellent. Way to go. Give yourself a hand. Okay, I can't believe you people are sitting out there. Aren't y'all cold back there? Are you cold? My goodness. Okay, apparently not. All right. All right, well, speaking of noise that we're all headed back to, I don't know about you, but I am not looking forward to the next year of presidential primaries and elections. I mean, the Bible is very, very clear that we should pray for our leaders. So please do that. Pray for your leaders. Amen, right. But I don't know about you, but I'm going to get tired of hearing the accusations and the bickering and uh, the recorded political announcements. Um, goodness, right. Uh, but I remember last election cycle, I'm hearing that the FEC, the Federal Election Commission, um, had this, this problem on their hands. Apparently, there were a lot of frustrated people like me, um, and they, were, uh, they, they took some action. I didn't do this, but, but it, the FEC was getting all these petitions for new people to get on the presidential ballot. Maybe you read this. There was Hillary, and there was Donald, and then there were some others. There was Anakin Skywalker, <laughs> and there was Darth Vader, and there was Ronald Reagan's ghost. And probably most interesting, there was God. Now, here's the letter. Uh, God apparently uh, submitted his paperwork to the FEC. <laughs> and according to this letter, God has 30 days left to prove that he actually exists. And if he failed to do so, his candidacy would be officially terminated. The FEC can't put God on the ballot if God couldn't prove that he actually exists. 
pretty funny. <laughs> well, forget the FEC. I'm sure there'll be more crazy candidates in next year's elections. But since the beginning of history, people have asked the same question. Maybe you can't even remember asking this. Or maybe you're still asking it. Does God really exist? And if God really does exist, what is he like? The foundation of our Christian faith is that God so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus into the world and that Jesus, fully human and fully God, would not only prove God exists, but he would show us that God exists. He would do that by the way he lived and by the way he died. Jesus came so that we would know the love of the Father. When Jesus was walking around with his disciples, uh, teaching them how to pray, he told them to pray how? Our Father. So when Jesus tells this, perhaps the most famous of all of his parables, a parable that does sum up the Gospels, Jesus is showing us the heart of God. He's showing us that God is the Father, God is the prodigal, God is the extravagant God who loves his sons and his daughters with an extravagant love. Now, we've already looked at the people who heard Jesus tell the story. There were the Pharisees, and there were the sinners. Uh, We've explored the younger brother and the older brother, but we've saved the most important for last, the father. I'm going to read the parable again, and I know you know this. You've heard me even just read it a couple times this weekend. But try to put fresh eyes on. I think one of the problems we can do when we get familiar with Scripture is we can glaze past it and miss it. Okay, But the same Holy Spirit that inspired the writers is inspiring you to be hearers. Dial in. Hear. Hear this like you're hearing it the first time. And listen for the heartbeat, the love of the Father. From Luke 15. While the younger son was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it. And let's eat and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then the older brother became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. 
But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice. Because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. What a story. Jesus is, is, is not being subtle at all in this story. God is the father with the two sons. He is telling us what God's like. Jesus though, would have surprised his Middle Eastern listeners because this father was a father they couldn't have imagined. This father said yes to the younger brother's request for the inheritance. This father hiked up his robe and ran after the rebel son. This father took the insult of the older son. And this father recklessly invited both of his sons to come home in spite of what they had done. He is not like any other Middle Eastern father, and he might not be like any, anything like your father. Some fathers are bad, and yours might have been. But hear me, this father is not some version of your dad on steroids. Don't let that trip you up. God is not called father because he is like your earthly father. Yeah. To transfer the feelings of the earthly father to God, the father, is, is backwards. It's the other way around. God's plan is that all human fathers are supposed to reflect the love of the heavenly father. But if yours didn't do that, that doesn't mean God isn't father. See, God is all father. Michael Reeves in his book, Delighting in the Trinity, I love that book. He, he says it this way. He says, it's not that God is a father as a day job, only to kick back in the evening as a plain old God. It's not that he has a nice blob of fatherly icing on top. He is father all the way down. This is the core of God. He goes on to say, And the, the father loves his children fully and recklessly. Love is not something the father has or one of his many moods. Rather, he is love. He cannot not love. If he did not love, he would not be the father. Very helpful book. Jesus wants us to know that this father, his father, our father. He wants us to know that one. You know, I'll never forget dropping John off to college for his freshman year. We were dropping off our first, and I mean, who's done that in the room? I mean, there's all this stuff. Raise your hand if you've done that. I mean, ah, ah. We were dropping John off to the same dorm where I had been a, a freshman, so you can imagine all, all the emotions that we were having. It was so much fun, but there was so much just grief that was coming. And then came the time to say goodbye. It was so hard. My son hugged me first, 
and he hugged me last. But then I just had to walk away. But Mark, my husband, did it a little bit different. Here's a picture of Mark watching. What you can't see is just in the distance, my son is jogging off to his freshman orientation. Mark stood and he watched John walk until he was out of sight. That's what the father does. See, the father is always looking for you. The father is always loving you. Ever since his, his son left, it's, it's been the same. The father has his eyes wide open. See, he watched his son leave all the way out of town. And every day he's been watching. He isn't wondering if he will get his money back or his property back. He isn't wondering if, uh, he, he doesn't care about any of that. He's just hoping and hoping that he will get his son back. The son who betrayed him and the son who embarrassed him and the son who wished him dead. The son who the father knew would fail. His love for his son hasn't changed and, and, and he watches that road every single day. He wanted to warn you about all the dangers you will face. He wanted to convince you to stay home. He could have forced you to stay at home so you would have never gotten hurt. He wants to tell you not to post that on Snapchat. <laughs> and to choose friends for you that will bring you back home. But that's not the father. The father won't force himself on you, but he'll be waiting for you. He'll let you go, but he'll be waiting when you come back. Friends, hear this message one more time. No matter how far you've gone away from the father, he's always looking, always longing, always loving you. Now afterwards, you may come up to me this morning and say, well, you don't know my story. God couldn't be God if he loved me. There's no way. But what I tell you is, you don't know the Father. See, the Father wants you to come home. Artists have spent a lot of time uh, trying to capture this love of the Father and the parable and maybe none so powerfully as Rembrandt. Henry Nowen, uh, the priest and the author, had this, this life-changing encounter with Rembrandt's prodigal son painting. Here it is. For Nowen, uh, Rembrandt's masterpiece is all about the father. The father whose, whose red cape is like this, this tent, like wings to protect you and to welcome you. Wings to, to give the son rest. Don't you know that someone's tired? But now it was also memorized by the hands of the Father. If you look close, you may need to Google it if you can't see it too well there. But the Father's left hand on the Son's shoulder is really strong and really muscular. It has this, this strong and firm hold on His Son. But the other hand 
has a more tender touch on the shoulder. It's kind and it's comforting. Art critics have speculated that Rembrandt painted his own hand for the left hand and that he painted the hand of a woman for the right hand. The father is at the same time firm and tender in his love for his son. He, he runs to the son when he sees him. He, he wraps his arm around the son with those hands as, and embracing, embraces him. And those are the hands that are waiting for you. They're hands that shaped you before you were born. Hands that hold on to you when you need protection. Hands that, that let go of you when you rebel and walk away. But hands that will always welcome you back and embrace you. See, the Father will always, always hold on to you. The Father stops the Son's explanation and his lame apologies and he holds him. He gives him a robe and a ring, and he starts preparing this, this party. And God has this unbelievable, undescribable grip. The key is the grip. Now, uh, part of my story is a couple years ago, I had two back surgeries. Uh, the first one was because I was a mediocre high school athlete. Tennis was my sport. The second one was because I got T-boned uh, by a car that took out the first back sur surgery. So I am super into fitness. Okay, I, I do CrossFit and I have to do that. If I don't do that three or four times a week, I cannot survive. My back hurts and I can't do what I want to do and what I believe God's called me to do. So a funny part of my life is, is I'm kind of an inside American Ninja Warrior. I love that show. I'm particularly impressed with the chicks who do that show. I want to be one. <laughs> Stay tuned. You know, don't, don't you think, like, Reverend American Winjin, that has kind of a ring to it. If you don't know the show, it's not black robes, it's not ninja stars and nunchucks. It's, it's just a bunch of really gifted athletes. And they compete to get through crazy obstacles. And almost all of the obstacles require a ridiculous amount of grip strength. Here's my crazy favorite. It's called the doorknob arch. The athletes have to move knob to knob up an arch. And they have to be sure not to turn the knobs as they move up the arch and back down. And most of them just simply can't do it. Almost everyone falls on them. It's all about the grip. God's love for you is about the grip. He's not fickle about it. He runs to you and he embraces you and he just won't let go. That's what the father does. He holds on to you no matter what. And when we truly grasp his grasp on us, 
We want him to take hold of every part of us. It's firm, but it's tender. We want him to take hold of of our relationship life and our jobs and our future and our failures. When we get the grass, we want him to have all of it. See, Jesus wants you to know that God is your father. That his grasp is big. And no matter how far you get from the father, when you're all alone and you don't know what to do, when you've made decisions you can't take back, when you disappoint everybody, including yourself, when you think there's no way home, the father is always running to you. He's always running to you. No distance is too far for God to get to you. Whether you're far off like the younger son or whether you are stubbornly close like the older son. The father literally hiked his robe up and he ran to the son. And he left the party to come out to the insults of the other son. See, the father's going to meet you right where you are. He runs to you. 2014, there was a young lady by the name of Kayla Montgomery, and she was a senior in high school, and it, she lived in North Carolina, and she had always been an incredible athlete. In fact, soccer was her favorite sport, and she was good. I mean, division one, good. But in, in middle school, Kayla had this injury, and that injury led to a diagnosis. And it was, the diagnosis was really hard. It was an aggressive form of MS. So with the MS, it was very clear that she wouldn't be able to play soccer very long. But Kayla just wouldn't give up with sports. So with the help of medication, she realized that, that she could still run. She started working on long-distance running, and her M MS symptoms didn't let up, but neither did Kayla. She got better, and she got better. But the MS didn't make it easy for her. Uh, every time she ran, she would lose all of the feeling in her legs. So at the end of the race, she couldn't stop herself. It's almost overwhelming to watch her run, go online and, and look her up, Kayla Montgomery. And it's not overwhelming because she usually wins. It's overwhelming because of who has run to meet her to catch her at the finish line. Here's a picture. That's her coach. At the end of the race, Kayla has done all she can. She's given all she can. She's dreaming of the win, but she also has this fear. I mean, she can't feel her legs. She knows she can't stop herself. And she has to fully count on her coach at the end of every single race. And the coach is always there to catch her. The son ran all the way to the father with his deepest fears and his greatest hopes. And as he ran, he began to wonder, would the father even be there? Would the father let him get close? He had to wonder if the father would ever even let him inside their house again. The son ran to the father. But the amazing good news is that the father ran to the son. 
And that allowed the son to collapse into the loving arms of the father. You know, it wasn't enough for Jesus to share a really good story about the father's love. It wasn't enough to share a a touching story about the father running to the son. Jesus didn't stop there. Jesus showed you the story. He showed you the love of the father when he ran to you. And he didn't just run down the road. He ran all the way from heaven all the way to the earth. He ran from his sinless, wonderful life with his father into your broken life. He ran all the way to the cross for you. And women, he did it so you could come home. He did it so you could come home. My prayer is over the last 48 hours, you have found yourself in this parable. That you've met the prodigal God, maybe like you've never before done. What is God saying to you? Our musicians are going to come and they're going to get us ready uh, for communion by their playing. But want you to spend a few minutes contemplating, what has God done for you? Are you ready to collapse in his arms? Let's spend some time preparing our hearts and reflecting on the love of the Father. God, you are a a good, good Father, and you know what's deepest in the heart of every person in this room and outside. God, you know what we long for. You know what we're worried about. You know if we don't believe in God. You know if we can't believe that you, our Father, could possibly love us. So once again, by the power of your Spirit, you are meeting people where they are. You have your arms wide open. And you have run to us. As we get ready to take your meal that reminds us how far you ran to us. Help us to run to you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.